Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. Hello and welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. Um, we're waiting on a call in from Sasha CM, who's going to call in hopefully. Hello. Hi, hi. How are you? Hi. Good. I'm great. How are you? Good, good. So, Sasha studied music and poetry at Cambridge University at Harvard and Harvard University. She did music for the London Symphony Orchestra, the World Opera House, London Philharmonic Orchestra, and the youngest person to receive the British Composer Award. Her first two critically acclaimed albums, Most of the Boys and Bird Burning, were recorded in Iceland. Um, she's performed at festivals and sold out shows across Europe and the U.S. 
And uh, yeah, that's great. It's really great stuff. And um, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. So why don't we start off with um, talking a little bit of biography, your your life and, and journey. Um, where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in London. My dad's Norwegian and my mom moved to London when she was about 13. She was born in South Africa. So I always had these two different kind of identities that were weaving through my childhood. And I started writing songs when I was about, uh, about seven, I think. And it was when I was turning into that teenage phase that I knew it was what I wanted to do. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I, I had a long sort of academic exploration of music that took me into several degrees. But finally coming out the other side of that that training, I realized that I'd lost contact, that initial spark of passion that had connected me with songwriting in the very first place. So I've, I, in a way, I've come full circle. I feel like I'm back around where I started. Great, great. Um... So, yeah, so you have two albums out, um, the uh, Most of the Boys and uh, Bird Burning. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the journey into creating those two albums. And uh, I believe uh, Most of the Boys is the one that came out first? or mm-hmm, That's yeah. right, yes. So a few years ago now, and I'd been, up until that point, I'd actually, I'd stopped writing for voice uh, when, I, when I went to university. And I was writing mainly for orchestral instruments. Um, so I'd written for lots of orchestras at the time. And I was enjoying the process. I had several commissions on at the same time, but I was also feeling an emptiness. And I, it wasn't until actually, I think it was one of my professors who said to me, you know, it's interesting, you never write for voice. And I thought to myself, actually, how strange that was, given that I'd started from writing for voice. And I um, was overtaken by this whim of an idea to move to Berlin and while I was there I said no to any further commissions I put aside all the instruments that I knew how to play and went and bought myself a ukulele um, and several instruments that I had no idea how to play and started playing around um, almost like a, you know, a toddler in a candy shop and um, that was how the first album was born and in a way it's a coming of age album it's a lot to do with experience of being a young woman in uh, living a city life and trying to find herself, trying to, you know, um, find something meaningful and how she goes through all these experiences of, of different encounters with the world and different relationships and what it's like to kind of lose and find love over and over again. So it's quite a, it's quite a wry and almost acerbic as a real sort of fire and a passion to, and almost the, um, at times a sarcasm in the lyrics. Yeah. And um, that was that was a, a lot of fun to do because there's a lot of wordplay and I was almost um, playing on the idea of nursery rhymes and giving them this sort of satirical twist. But once that was out my system, I really wanted to go deeper and I wanted to um, express something that was... Um, almost more more vulnerable and through that vulnerability I found um, a great power um, and that was with the, the second record Bird Burning I actually started that one in Norway 
I decided that I wanted to learn more about my Norwegian heritage. And I went to spend a summer in the north of Norway, and I lived, camped out in one of these reindeer yurts in the midnight sun. And uh, it sounds romantic, but it's actually incredibly arduous because you never get darkness, you never get this moment of repose. And while I was there, I, I was studying the music of the Sami people. And I was fortunate enough to apprentice for a while with Mary Boyner, the, um, the famous Sami singer. And so she shared with me many um, secrets of that musical tradition, which is very shamanic, and helped me in my own practice to reconnect music with, with an earthiness and with a purpose. And she shared about, they have this tradition of yoiking, and to yoik is, in a sense, to invoke. And so if you'd have a yoik about a bird, for example, you wouldn't be singing about the bird, but you'd be invoking the bird into the space. Mm. And so this second album, Bird Burning, it, um, you know, each one of the songs is a portrait of a, of a mythical bird. And um, it leads us through a narrative of the love story. And in the process, it was almost as though I was, I was attempting to invoke the spirit of these of these birds and their their alchemical qualities to depict this, you know, the, the alchemical process of a love affair in a way, that excitement of the initial meeting and then the deepening of relationship and then the coming up against difficulty and challenge with each other and then the moving through either into you know, a new life on one's own or, in a way, in a sense, a new life together as a, as a relationship. Yeah, excellent, excellent. This is Bird Burning, and then you're going to, um, you're working on currently, we listened to a song, Fiercely Fearless, from your upcoming album, Holy. So if you tell us a little bit about how that kind of trajectory has continued uh, or maybe broken or, or how that uh, journey is continuing to Holy, yeah. Yeah, thank you for playing the song. It's lovely to hear it. Thank you, thank um, you. So we have, yeah, I have this new album coming very shortly. It'll be later in the spring. So we're putting all the finishing touches on that right now. And in a sense, there's a continuation. Um, the, the first album, Most of the Boys, was uh, about the subject. You know, it was, an, it was a, an album about me and about the I, the individual. <laughs> The second album was about the expansion into couplehood and, and, and the dynamic in relationship. And this third album is very much about community and about what happens if we unite and we, we come together as, it's in a sense, um, much more global. Mm. And the songs are, are, in some sense, a little bit of a break from what I've done previously. Um, those first two albums grew out of my more esoteric academic training and I feel as I progress I become ever more immediate and direct and heart-centered and so this album is very um, anthemic and almost tribal I'm playing with lots of beats that hopefully inspire dance and movement through the body and, and choruses that, that um, you know call out to be sung into um, so there's nothing more powerful for me than being at a concert and having everyone join in and, and sing together this, this very tribal um, 
quality is so healing, I think, and I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the power of music to transcend our limitations and boundaries and everything that keeps us separate from each other. You know, even thinking of music as, as being the universal language is something that can awaken and communicate um, beyond beyond language differences. Yeah, it's a really great... And so this album, I was going to say, it's really great to talk about community and talk about, um, just to summarize what you're saying and talk about like finding that transcendence, I guess, is what you're saying. Uh, find that, exactly. that spiritual transcendence, yeah. And um, the question then is, uh, what, what, what are the values that act as your moral compass and uh, that help you guide the community towards these kind of, because you're starting the personal and going to the collective. So, And the themes of this show has to do with truth to power, finding our personal truth. And letting that empower us, and I think empowerment is a big theme in your music as well. Absolutely, yes. Thank you for that. Um, I'd say that the, you know the guiding values are are growth, constant progression, and constant um, you know truth and integrity at every moment. Um, it's only by being really honest with ourselves that we can know where we are and know where we're going. And um, and beyond. Uh, but you, the the album uh, "Most of the Boys and Bird Burning" are available through iTunes. Um, Hi there, can you hear me now? Yeah, good, good. Yeah. So go ahead. You were saying about. Yeah, so the values of I think that are that are really important for me personally are constant growth and integrity and and honesty with oneself. And then as a collective, you know, communication so crucial. Um, addressing things honestly and compassionately when they come up. Um, and care and attentiveness. Yeah. All those obvious things. Joy, of course, is a, is, is something that um, it it's almost been devalued. I think in our society, <laughs> everything there's a long list of things we have to accomplish, and joy very often comes quite far down on the list. Whereas I'm uh, I'm experiencing more and more that when we choose our joy, then things flow, and we are actually able to make more of a contribution in our community. Yeah, I know the the phrase uh, they say in uh, Buddhism. They talk about relying on a happy mind, you know, to make decisions. So sometimes I think that's a good way to think about joy, you know, relying on a happy mind, a joyous mind, not to rely on a, a tight mind or, or a negative mind, but rather to be in a happy mind and, and rely on that as a decision-making process. So that's really great. Um, so my next question has to do with uh, returning to, you're talking about writing for The Voice and your training. Um, so so much has been written about pop music being like the same few chords over and over again and, kind of like relying on uh, similar kind of motifs. And pop music can sometimes be a little bit restrictive, but in your music you seem to experiment and widen the scope of the listening experience. And how you how did you think you got that style um, through your trainings in classical operatic styles? And uh, and how do you feel you're trying to expand the, the scope of, you know, the limits of pop music? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, great question. Well, I've never been offended by a song which uses the same two chords over and over, and I know that it's something that you know has been talked a lot about. And certainly in my in my academic training, it was something that was really um, looked down upon. 
But there are so many elements in a song um, that one has to play with. There's, of course, the harmony, there's the melody, there's the lyrics, then there's the um, accompaniment and the timbre that one's playing with and the different instruments that one's using. And um, so I think that, you know, it, it's like using the alphabet in a way. We, we can, can construct the chords in so many different ways um, so as to breathe new life into them. Mm. And for me, something that's been really um, important in certainly my first two albums was this um, sonic quality. So I was really playing with um, the sounds that were being used and in a way like the, the accompaniments to the vocal. And that can make, you know, when you have a chord that's played on strings that are... Um, using the wood of their bow, for example, that chord sounds completely different to when you play it on the piano. Um, it just brings out totally different harmonics and um, has a very different effect when it rever reverberates through the soul. So I've not been um, too, uh, <laughs> too prescriptive with my use of harmony, but I certainly like to play with these different parameters. Um, in the past two albums, I was playing a lot with so song form. Um, and I think one of the great things with song is that we do have certain expectations around it and around its its form and its length. And the fun with that is that we can then play with expectations, set things up, um, and then surprise the listener in, in, in little ways here and there, which then has quite a profound effect, as opposed to, say, if you, you know, you're you using an instrumental drone where there are no um, expectations. Yeah. So I've enjoyed that greatly. So, um, yeah, and that, I think it has, speaks to how you found your own voice over the years and how, um, but I just want to know how the, your comedian collaborators have informed your voice, like when you're working with someone, uh, how you're able to navigate the tricky terrain of, like, you know, having it be your voice, but also in, get receiving input and receiving the kind of uh, um, collaborative uh, magic that might happen in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. As you're, as you're speaking, I get this image of a piece of clay that's molded um, and by hand. And I think of all these years of experience and different collaborations, whether it be with orchestras or different singers or producers, and every encounter is, in a way, like a an imprint into this this piece of clay yeah. um, that I am, and um, so everything, every every moment has had its bearing on my current um, voice, which is ever changing and evolving. Also, as the different layers of the onion are peeled back, but I um, I definitely remember a moment where I felt, huh, okay. I, I know what I'm doing now, and it took a long time. It took, um, you know, at least a decade of veering left and veering right and being over-persuaded by this voice or, um, you know, set into doubt by this comment here. I think um, that was necessary for me. That was a necessary path and trajectory of... of um, figuring out you know i think many people go through a teenage phase and they, they try on lots of different kinds of outfits before they know what feels good for them and um that was definitely my experience um but all along there was this it's almost like a little golden thread of oh yeah this is feels in integrity for now 
and now I don't even think about it really. I just think of my work more as um, channeling, yeah. <laughs> just to be um, open enough to receive um, whatever message wants to come through. Yeah, and also it seems like uh, you've done some music videos, and let's talk a little bit about the media surrounding the music. Um, Fiercely Fearless has like an artistically rendered video that people can find online uh, and how that um, has kind of given you like when you get feedback, when you create the song and then, you know, someone else does their, their interpretation or version of it. How does that feed into this uh, loop you're talking about, this this uh, keeping yourself open and, and the impressions that it gives on you? Yeah, this is such a fun part of the process because once the song's complete and one starts work on a video um i love to leave it open i have usually quite a clear sense of the of the um vibe that i want to communicate with a video um but i also love to leave space for a director to come with their vision and this is part of the beauty of you know weaving between two perspectives two realities and and then seeing what's born of that very much um a process of on letting go on the one hand and then and then holding and holding space for this thing to emerge on the other um and we have actually i just got back from a quite a crazy trip where i was recording several music videos um one in jerusalem one in bulgaria um and we have several more to come i think it's a really important part for me is the sharing to have a visual to accompany the music. It um, often acts as a gateway or an, um, an opening um, for people to enter into the music. Yeah, and it seems like um, you've learned a lot for over your years, but also uh, um, there are certain things that, from what I understand from reading some of your interviews, that you had to unlearn uh, from the lessons you received yeah. from uh, London of York or Royal Opera House all these different places in academic training, you had to unlearn them to be like, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to move down this path. So talk a little bit about uh, what, what extent have you had unlearned lessons you've received from some of your experiences in academia or in, uh, or in the, or the orchestra uh, and how you'll be able to adapt to, um, and you're talking a little bit about the, you know, saying no to certain voices and that's all very important to be able to adapt to this uh, voice and this new yeah. landscape you're, you're learning in. Yeah. Ahead, so yeah. much so, and you talk about the mind and different, you know, different um, incarnations of mind. I think that it's a real skill, and it's one sort of a lifelong process, being able to distinguish even between the different voices in our own head. You know, what is what is my intuition? What is instinct? What is learned behavior and belief? Um, what is um, the voice of my parents or of my teachers or where is my true voice and, and what is true voice you know what is the guidance that I choose to tune into and I, I feel increasingly you know that mind is really like a um, like a radio and that one has the opportunity to choose which radio station one tunes into um, and it's very much the same with creativity I feel like you know um what kind of vibration of of expression do I do I want to tune into? And um, one day I can come from from grief and from heartbreak, and the next day I can come from really tuning into to joy and to a connectedness, almost a divinity and a oneness with all things. And 
I've noticed that, you know, through my academic um, training, there was a lot of irony, there was a lot of sarcasm, there was a lot of um, encouragement for us to be very critical, you know, and, and of course it's important to have a um, to have discernment. And yet, for me, I, f- I feel that there's something has been missing in the creation of, of art in general, like not, not, you know, one can't generalize really, but overall, um, especially in the contemporary art scene, contemporary music, there is um, a resistance to being heartfelt and direct and in a way tapping into those higher frequencies of joy and of love and of compassion and of divinity. It's almost like they're too simple. There's not enough drama or, um, or pain involved. Um, and we have this view of the artist as, you know, left over from the 19th century as being this kind of troubled soul. Um, and yet, over periods of time in history, music has been used, and we see this very much in shamanic societies, to create transcendence, to create inspiration, to create wellness and wholeness and goodness. Um, and so that's something which you know, I'm now brave enough to embrace. Um, but it was it was a, a tricky thing through those those you know that period of studying to do that. I remember writing one piece which was very um, melodious and um, hum, harmonic, harmonizing. And uh, I was the only female in my composition group at that time. And all of everyone else in my year, including the teachers, just didn't speak to me after the concert when this piece was played. It was almost like I'd made a a moral error um, in in writing something that was harmonic. So that was that was one level um, of of process that I went through. But of course, on a technical level, too, I think I'd become... Um, so I'd listen to music and I'd be so tuned into how it was constructed that I'd lost that ability just to sit back and, and, um, allow the music to wash through me and surrender to the music, um, really. So it was letting go of that control again. Um, and yet I am so grateful for the training because I now am able to, you know, I'm able to write for any instrument that I choose and to be quite playful with the orchestration of things. Yeah, and uh, when, you, when you have so many life lessons and so many things that you've learned and grown from, what do you think, how would you, if you were to teach someone something or if you were to uh, give a lesson or give some parts of wisdom from that, and you've given a lot of it, but what do you think is the most important thing to uh, to tell people who are just starting out or... or um, on the beginning of the journey, you're having trouble or navigating this kind of terrain. What are some lessons you think that you've um, you can kind of impart on them? Specifically for artists. Yes, yeah, so for the artists mm-hmm. who are just starting out or um, mm-hmm. are, are having trouble navigating this kind of a terrain of of finding their voice and and uh, and maybe getting caught up in the um, some of the, the pitfalls you were talking about. Like for example, for myself, I mean, uh, you know, it's easy to play for. You know, as a poet, as a writer, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, what does the audience want? And, and thinking about the audience, yeah. thinking about what's going to be popular, what's going to be, what's going to make me, uh, my name, put my name out there. But but really connecting, what I'm hearing from you is connecting with that that real true uh, power. Um, and how would you advise someone like that uh, to be able to, to be confident and, 
to continue with that joy, yeah. Yeah, great question. Well, some, some, I think for every person it's different. Um, but what I can say for myself is um, if I was talking to myself 10 years ago, not get, you know, just not to get caught up in, in caring what other people think or advice from other people, but to tune in. And I really believe we have all the answers within us. So any practice that one can develop for strengthening that ability to hear one's inner voice, one's constructive inner voice, um, the better. So I, you know, I would say a meditation practice, um, just and in a way thinking of one's music or creation or, or, you know, whether you're creating poetry or art, whatever it is, thinking of that in a sense as a meditation process. Any we get thoughts that come in, we just let them, you know, pass by in the river. Likewise, if we're sitting at our at our desk to create something and someone else's voice comes in or worry, you know, worry about whether it's going to be popular or what people are going to think, just to let that all go by. And over time, to strengthen that ability to create quiet mind and quiet space and then to trust what comes through, to trust what one is drawn to, where where you know where do you find joy where where you find joy in your making is often where that spark of energy is going to be felt by someone who's going to enjoy your piece of art and the truth is that not everyone is going to like what you do but if 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 you stay very true to to your inner voice then those people who are meant to connect with what you do will feel the truth and the resonance and the depth of it Excellent, excellent. Such great advice. I think it's really very helpful. Um, why, why don't we go to what um, what is what what other artists, as far as other artists go, and artifacts? Um, what has brought you the most joy, as far as listening, as a listener, as a uh, as a consumer, uh, that has helped influence you, maybe growing up up till today? What artifacts? Um, uh, you know, whether it be books, movies, music, TV shows, anything in any genre, have really helped guide your <laughs> Your voice, yeah. Go on for days. Um, yeah. I go in sort of waves and, and phases of things, but certainly from things that have stuck from childhood were um, you know, my mum played the same tapes over and over in her car when we were children. Um, so we listened a lot to the Velvet Underground and Leonard Cohen and James Taylor and um, I'm trying to think what else, Graceland. And then we had a few classical tapes that played as well. Um, so I have, I have a love of that, you know, the sixties and seventies, um, acoustic writing. Um, but then also somebody like Bjork, I think her inventiveness is just so exciting and, um, enticing. And then, you know, the pure pop too. Um, I was a, I, I was a secret, um, listener of Elton John when I was a child um, and uh, and today, you know, an artist like Sia, it's amazing. She just pumps out these pure pop tunes. Um, poetry has been really important for me um, and uh, a private pleasure. So I'm always on the hunt for, um, for new poetry and enjoy that very much. And that's another thing to you know to to mention to your last question of what what, mm. what I would suggest for anyone starting out 
um, as a as a young artist is just never never to give up. It's not a job; it's a, a life, and it's a lifelong work of coming into oneness with oneself and to being ever more connected with life. And that artist, you know, that life of the artist is really, I believe, why we're all here on um, on this planet, to create, connect with our creativity and the, the sort of divine aspect of that creativity. And that really is a lifelong work. And... Mm. Um, and joy and play and the medium may change you know one day it may be that we're writing poetry the next it's having a conversation with a friend and the next we're cooking dinner and the next we're on stage performing for thousands of people whatever it is every moment has this this opportunity for creativity and um so the fruits of, of other people's creativity have given me great strength and inspiration along the way um in those moments where i felt like giving up and i have um I, it's been a great, great source of, um, yeah, of inspiration, and it certainly refilled my, my vessel, my, refueled me. Mm. Um, so I'm so grateful to all those artists who have, have pushed on through and dedicated their life to making beautiful things. Such a great uh, way of putting it. Yeah, I really love that comment and and how even conversations, even personal conversations, are or uh, interactions we have are part of our creativity. I think it's so important to underline that, that uh, we think about, we think of separate like product, 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 but actually, you know, process is so important. And part of that process is the everyday occurrences that happen to us. That's a really great uh, thing to say. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And we never know, you know, as, as, as artists, we're expressing that divine essence that we have, but we're, um, you know, it, it's, that's something that can happen in every single moment. And we have no idea how just a smile to somebody on the subway can inspire them. And that's what our art, you know, the, the products are just the traces of our own process, I think. And those traces can be an inspiration to others to connect them with their life force and with their process of true, life. And uh, now I understand from some of your interviews that you were exploring your family history and your late grandmother's journey. Um, how did you exploring your family history help you to connect with that power source and ha- connect you to that uh, personal histories and you know finding where your family came from and where their uh, journey has been is it seems like it was very essential to your journey yeah so how did that happen yeah thank you I um, the past twenty years or so um, have been um, a journey of exploration. Um, for me, into spirit. In a sense, they've been a journey into um, into a remembering of the connectedness of everything. And at times, you know, especially going into teenagehood, it can be lonely times. It can feel quite isolated that we're here on our own in this big, wide world. And, um, and reconnecting to the bigger picture and remembering that we're part of something greater is very empowering. And I think the very... You know, one of the first steps to that is is reconnecting with our ancestry. Um, where do we come from in that very practical sense? Who were our parents, um, our grandparents, our great-grandparents? What did they go through? Um, I think so much is is transmitted to us through our, through our DNA. Um, and, you know, with that, 
that the gifts, but also the traumas. And very often, um, you know, we can be stuck in certain cycles which are not so fulfilling for us, and it can be bemusing as to why. But understanding that that family ancestry and lineage, and um, you know, um, you can see this on 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 more global levels too, the, the residual trauma of various historical, um, you know, uh, ruptures mm. and the imprint that that's left on the DNA. So it can be, I think, very um, cleansing to understand the stories of one's ancestors and then to um, actively release that which is not ours, but which is theirs, and to honor them also for everything that they went through, everything that, um, you know, that they they managed to overcome. They they managed to pass life on to us. Um, so I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a very important thing um, and very liberating to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. So uh, just remind the audience, this is Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, the Truth to Power Show, we're talking to Sasha Siam, who, um, you know, brings awareness and shares her deepest life lessons through music she plays on an album. Uh, one, one of the things that also came up in, 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 uh, in a, uh, when, when the request came into Radio for Brooklyn is that one of your songs, Flower, Flower, was recorded in 432 Hertz, also known as the Love Frequency, scientifically yeah. known to bring healing and rejuvenation to the body. Can you talk a little bit about that and how... What is what is that? Uh, how did you discover this, or is this something you learned? And then, uh, how did you did that alter the song? I mean, the song is very beautiful, but and I played it in a previous episode. People can can look it up. But talk a little bit about that and the decision to do that. Yeah. So this is um, this is very exciting, and it connects with my fascination with um, the power of sound to heal and to harmonize. And I worked in the creation of of this album. I was developing the demos in Brooklyn, actually, when I was living there, just after the birth of my son. And um, I was collaborating with a um, sound alchemist called Elias North. And he um, has explored, as many people have, the um, how the different frequencies can help to reactivate our blueprint and to, um, to balance the system, balance the body, bring greater peace within. Um, and so all of the tracks on the album are actually recorded at 432 hertz, um, known as the love frequency because it induces this, this real state of calm so that people are free to love. You know, I think that often we all want to be loving and, um, and, and joyful beings, but sometimes we have a lot of tensions in our body. And, you know, talking about ancestors just a moment ago, some of that is, is really inherited from our ancestors, you know, fascinating learning about the development of the liver and how certain patterns can be, be passed on from generations. Um, so music is one of those those things that can actually really help to relieve some of these tensions in the body at a cellular level. And that was part of my hope with this, this album, that... Um, you know, we would be getting these frequencies out in a more um, widespread way. They are used um, in healing work. Um, you know, you can imagine more spa-sounding music that would use, um, use these frequencies. But I, I was really curious to experiment with using them with pop songs. 
Oh, excellent, excellent. And also, it seems like you're getting into a little bit of the next question about philosophies and, and schools of thought. It seems like sh- sh- shamanic um, and uh, alchemic uh, movements have kind of influenced you. Uh, how do you find yourself in dialogue with that? And uh, is there anything that you've kind of, um, you know, said, uh, you, we talked a little bit about saying no to certain philosophies and, and cultivating other philosophies uh, and how that evolved, uh, you know, specifically in regards to your family history as well, yeah. So the philosophy is the guide you. Or the yeah, great thought, question. Yeah. It's, as I said, it's been um, you know 20 years of exploration for me, um, and I've explored many different spiritual traditions, um, and alchemy and shamanism are very much uh, sources of inspiration for me. I'm very curious about the, in a way, metaphysical and, and more esoteric um, ancient teachings, ancient um, wisdom, which um, can be found cross-culturally. So it's those aspects of spirituality that are um, can be found in all traditions, really. Mm. Um, and I, I've studied many years Kabbalah, um, now very interested in the mystery teachings. So I'm very deep now in this in this study and very keen on on also sharing it with others. Um, but I feel that you know each person has their own their own journey and their own path to to follow. Um, but I, I think it, it is very important that that we have this awareness to go ever deeper into our understanding of to know ourselves and to um, to understand this life and put it in some perspective. Um, thank yeah. you, thank you. Yeah, and also, um, I think I've been following your Facebook page and people can follow that at uh, facebook.com, I think Sasha Siem, uh, S-I-E-M. Um, and on your Facebook page, it says, there's lots of posts about, you know, being fiercely fearless and contemporary women who have inspired you. Uh, why don't you highlight some of those uh, people who have inspired you um, and people can explore more, but uh, just highlight one or two of them that are coming up for you now that really inspired you and uh, uh, not necessarily in music, but in, in life in general, yeah. Yeah, wow, there are many, many, many people who have inspired me. Um, I think that the more that I move forward in life, the more I realize that um, you know, before every great leap, before every great breakthrough, there is always a period of of intensity and of of even it might feel like darkness. Um, and I think it's very easy to look at, at people out there who've done great things and and almost take it for granted. You know, we hear the same names, over, whether it's a John Lennon or, a, um, you know, Martin Luther King or, you, you know, oh, yeah, okay, we, we, hear, we hear about them and, and hear their story and take it for granted. And actually realizing now how much strength <laughs> and courage it's ta- it takes to really follow through on, on one's vision and to manifest it and make it come alive. Um, so I'm I'm constantly in in uh, in gratitude for those those women who and men who who have um, who have opened doors for others and offered their life in in service of the progression of humanity really um, and then in a very personal way um, you know I'm, I'm 
blessed to have people around me who um, inspire me every day. And um, by not not following the status quo and being quite ruthless about, you know, about living their truth. Um, and then those who, you know, we, we make mistakes and we get up again and um, we we face the the shame and say, you know, you can't defeat me. Yeah. So it's really great. And I think it's really your perspective. It puts an interesting spin on the next question because I was thinking about like, what would the ideal be? But I think that it seems like what you're saying is that sometimes when we think about the ideal and what would, what would, what would life look like? We, we forget that, um, you know, the negative qualities of the things that are darkness actually propel the light, but I'll have you take a crack at that anyway. If everything, if we have everything we wanted, what would life look like and how would you feel? How would you act? What would you be? And, Maybe not negating the 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 down, but um, how how would that how would that vision for society be like? Well, um, for me, it would be a peaceful world, and um, and I just wonder if we are if we can welcome that, you know, or if we need drama, we need yeah. uh, breaking news. <laughs> but I I see a peaceful world. I I envisage it, and so I know that it's therefore possible it just takes um commitment and and many many people holding space for that same vision and working on it on a daily basis because that peaceful world starts within you know we and so i see every moment of my day as an opportunity to to contribute to that creation of world peace uh, in how I treat myself and how I treat others around me. And then when I mess up to um, to get back up and, and recommit, I, I once heard, a, you know, one of my teachers once said, it's not whether you fall, but it's how quickly you can get up again after you fall. Yeah. So Very nice, if we can all nice. keep getting up, then, uh, then uh, we will have a peaceful world where we can all express our our divinity and enjoy ourselves and dance and sing. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. I almost feel like uh, if we recognize that, uh, but also I'm hearing from you is we recognize that it's all divine play and that it all, and not taking things too seriously, not taking things so, um, like, it's real, like, you know, like, it's so real, like, remembering that it's all a part of that divine dance that we're all playing in, that we're all experiencing, that, that, that uh, in the Hindu tradition they call it the Leela, the divine game. And that if we took things a little more lightly, that the darkness will lead to light and the the pain will lead to joy. Um, maybe maybe people would would get it more and 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 be more uh, open to the uh, as you're saying, yeah. open to the the possibilities. Yeah, yeah I think it, yeah, go very ahead. much a case always of lightness, lightness of being, and and lighthearted and and joy and humor are all great tools. Um, and then there are also moments where we have to say no. Yeah. We we say very clearly no when that's necessary. Very great. And do you have a final story of something that's happened to you that that taught you you know important lessons you're living right now or or something that uh, any kind of uh, quick anecdote that tells you like um, what what has taught you maybe either the most important or a lesson that you're really trying to learn now as we head into the 2019 and uh, this is now January of 2019 but end of January but. Uh, anything that's giving you the direction of where you're going now, you're doing holy, and we talked a little bit about the community and such, but anything that connects with your new direction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
so the the album that's coming out is called Holy, and there's a song on it, Holy, 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 which talks about all the holes that are created on our being as we move through life. You know, um, it's almost like a bullet hole here or a bullet hole there <laughs> in our system, in our being when we go through difficult times or people say nasty things to us or we go through traumas that we don't heal properly from. And it's about, the song is a is about moving from those kind of holes, the damage and the rupture, <laughs> back to wholeness. Um, and ultimately, the other side, back into a connection with holiness um, and a divinity uh, and a sacredness. I think that those are qualities which we're, we are so starved of in, in this world that we're living in. And so really working to bring that sacredness into every moment as much as possible. Um, so that's really the, the the message of the new album. I think one thing on a personal level that I'm that I'm uh, dancing with is um, you know being quite a, a young or newish mother and having so many things on the go at the same time. I'm really um, aspiring to. Um, ever greater multi multi-dimensionality i think that's something which i'm i'm uh, always um talking about is that one one can have this one one can have one's cake and eat it oh. that you can have everything in life it's just a dance of of how to bring that about maybe one can't have everything at the same time perhaps but um just how to how to weave it in a way that's that's really wholesome and nourishing excellent excellent as um before we go though i just want to let listeners know that if they um if they heard your songs under the name Frigga, um, I just want to mention that uh, moniker because I know you'd use that name for a little while in 2018, but then you decided to return to uh, your name, Sasha CM. If you just comment a little bit of her listeners, um, what was the impetus to, to go to Frigga and, and the choice to return um, so that people, when they're looking on Apple Music as well, Flower Flower and, uh, and Fiercely Fearless will be found under that name. So if you just briefly comment on that and uh, (laughs) Yes, it was quite fun hiatus into Frigga. Um, It was a bit like, you know, being able to try on a different costume and see how it fits. Every so often it's kind of nice to um, explore a new identity. So I highly recommend it. Um, But it was really, on a more serious note, it was born out of a um, a production that we put together in London. um, And I was collaborating with Yara Dolev, the um, choreographer, and a beautiful troupe of female dancers um, from Berlin. We we had our show at Sadler's Wells in the summer, and it was really, I mean, one of the songs on the album is called Eve Eyed, and it's about the legacy of, um, of Eve and how that story, especially the Judeo-Christian story around Eve, has affected the, you know, the, the in a way, story that women have around um, their origin and what it means to be a woman. And so Evite is a kind of reignition of and resurrection of the goddess. And so Frigga was a Norse goddess. Um, and so by bringing her in, by stepping into that um, that cloak, it was really about reactivating and, and, and bringing out the message to inspire each woman to connect with her inner goddess. Um, and um, 
and I feel that that's such an important thing at this time. You know, we've, we've gone through a lot of drama around the Me Too movement, and I would say um, that for each woman to reclaim her goddess and to be um, to shine her light and to very clearly um, say yes and no in her life the way that um, that feels most integrity in integrity for her is so important. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And as we go out, we'll be listening to Bird Burning, um, one of the pre- previous albums. And then uh, I just want to also say that uh, I just want to say that Radio for Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So help support our mission. Please go to radioforbrooklyn.org/donate. And also, uh, uh, thank you so much. You can listen to us uh, at com or download the apps on iPhone and Android. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, BJ. Great to speak with you. Great, thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Bye. The hand in the fire beckons and reaches for something strong and strokes the flame beneath it. Flutter bellies roll into fists Something's bound to happen If you plan for it I am bird burning I am bird becoming air Coming rain becoming your hair All the saliva between my legs I am bird burning I am bird becoming air Becoming rain becoming your hair All the saliva between my bed.
Most of the boys know she knows 